if you are one of those folks where you're about to embark on a new commitment or a new level of uh, commitment or promise for the new year, we're in this interesting zone right here because the new year hasn't started yet. And I think before we can look forward, we have to look back for a second. I think it's healthy to kind of look back and reflect before we go forward. And interesting thing about the Bible, there's a lot of folks who had experiences in their life, and some of those experiences went well, some of them didn't go so well. And depending on how their past went, it radically altered their future. Uh, The past has a lot to do with our future. We see it in the Bible. It's the same in, in our lives as well. In the Bible, God promises us that he has a hope and a future for us. Yet, because of the things in our past, sometimes it has a big effect on what that hope and future look like. The Bible is full of these kind of stories. And when the things in our past end up becoming an obstacle to our future, that ends up being a big problem. And that happens in the lives of so many folks. It can happen to you. It can happen to me. I want to look at that today. We want, we're going to look at the Word of God in the aspect of breaking through things of our past, things in our past that would set us back, that would hold us back, that would hinder us from the full picture that God has before us. It's important to do because you and I will hit some walls. There will be speed bumps along the way. There will be potholes along the way. And how we manage those, how we get through those is so, so important. Um, There are other folks who have hit similar potholes and yet they were able to break through. And the Bible is full of these victory stories. Stories of people who had a a rough circumstance in one way or another, and yet they broke through for the glory of God. And that's what I love about the Bible. It's like full of these victory stories. Story of a modern-day athlete you may have heard from. He says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. Wow. That's Michael Jordan. Now, you wouldn't think that's Michael Jordan, but that was Michael Jordan. There's people like that, and all throughout the Bible, who have these succession of obstacles and speed bumps and setbacks, some of them stay there. Some of them refuse to stay there. What is the difference in a person that hits speed bumps and gets stuck compared to one who moves forward for the glory of God? What's the difference? How can some people break through all of that mess and other people not? Well, we're going to look at that today. Again, the Bible is full of these victory stories, and they're awesome victory stories. We see people go through some stuff and how God pulls them through it or how they get through that. We're going to look at breakthrough, breaking through our past. I suggest that if we can't really break through some things that would hinder or hold us back, we really can't run the race that God has set before us. When he says that I know the plans I have for you, they're not to harm you, they're to prosper you and give you a hope and a future, the hope and the future is is forward. And yet sometimes we get stuck or held back because of things in the past. And I think before even the new year, before we even think of our new plans and our new hopes and our new dreams, I think it's important to come to terms with the past and how we navigate out of that before we can go forward. Um, Maybe you're here today and you've had some past failures or experiences in your life. Interesting thing about a past, we all have one. Every one of us has a past. Our past might be different, but we all have one. Sometimes our past is something that we'd say, hey, look, uh, 
I didn't sign up for that. I was part of something or I was in a situation. I didn't sign up for that or my life or where it took me or a victim of circumstance. Whatever it may be, we all have different paths and those paths can radically alter or shape our future. Maybe it's in your childhood. Maybe you look back at your childhood and you go, man, that was a, that was a horrendous childhood. Um, there are so many aspects of childhood that tend to shape and form people for the rest of their lives unless you break through some of these things. Maybe it was your upbringing, the way you were raised or the way you were not raised can have a big effect. Maybe it was something with your, with your gifts and your talents where you took a step out to try something and it was a train wreck and it didn't happen. Some people stop and they pull over and they never move forward ever again. They just had a bad experience. Maybe... It was in your spiritual walk where you were walking along with God doing pretty good and you ended up hitting a wall along the way. Something happened and a lot of folks, when that happens, they just kind of retreat. They pull back and they said, hey, this, is, this isn't working for me. I messed up. I can't do this. Happens all the time. Or maybe just recently in life, you've had a major setback of some sort. There can be all sorts of obstacles or speed bumps that will set some folks back and hold them there. Again, the Bible's got these victory stories. God's not calling us to this past. He's calling us to a hope and a future. In fact, if you have your Bible with you, um, you can open up to John chapter 21. We're going to look at a couple of passages today that deal with breaking through our past. And if you don't have a Bible, we put this in the bulletin so you can follow along. Uh, Specifically, we're looking at two guys. We're going to look at Peter and we're going to look at Paul. And we're going to look at two quick snapshots of how these guys had to break through their past. And they had some stuff to break through, just like you and I do sometimes. And uh, it starts out with Peter, and the the setup is this on Peter. Peter, he had some bad experiences in life, and those experiences were setting him back. In fact, when we see Peter introduced in the Bible earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus comes and does a miracle in front of Peter, and he's about to say, Peter, come and follow me. And Peter's response is like, Lord, um, get away from me, Lord. I'm I'm, I'm not your man. I'm, I'm a sinful man, Lord. Just uh, depart from me. Go away. Jesus, just go away. I, I, I don't know who you think I am, but I'm not your guy. That's Peter. That's how he starts. Isn't that interesting? He starts his dialogue. His journey with Jesus is one that he says, I can't even go on one with you, God, because you. I don't know if you know me, but I can't be around you. I can't do what you're calling me to do. And it's interesting how... Because of our past and because of our experiences, we could have these excuses in life. We could have these reasons why we're not the one. We're not the guy. Lord, I'm not the guy. Or, or ladies, you might be saying, Lord, I'm not your girl. I, 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 I would like to, but I, I, I don't think I can do this. And, and just like Peter, where he's like, Lord, that's fine, but you know, depart from me. I'm, I'm not the one. So he starts out like that. And later on, we see Peter in his life with Jesus. He gets called to be an apostle, one of the first ones, and to be a leader in the church. Very cool. But it's not much later that we see at the Last Supper, Peter's with Jesus. And Jesus tells the apostles, hey, pretty soon I'm going to get turned over. And they're going to take me and crucify me. And Peter's like, no way. He's like, they're going to have to go through me first, Jesus. Nothing's going to happen to you with me around. This is Peter. And Peter is very zealous in his intention and his his desire, but it's not much later. Later on after the meal, they go out to a garden, and in that garden, they come to arrest Jesus. And where is Peter 
the brave one, the bold one that says, they're going to have to go through me first, Lord. He's sleeping on the job. He's over here sleeping and snoring, and the soldiers come and get Jesus. And I'm sure Peter got up and went, oh, no, I messed up really, really bad. Now, prophetically, we knew that had to happen. Yet Peter's the one who promised it wouldn't, and Peter's sleeping on the job. Peter's messing up right here. He doesn't feel good. And we see that when Peter messes up, he starts to go in reverse, just like we do. If we mess up in our walk with God in any kind of way, if there's a failure, we tend to retreat. And that's what he's doing right here. It's just moments later after this that they're having a trial for Jesus with the religious leaders. And they're saying to Peter, aren't you one of those Galileans? I think you are. He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And they say, no, no, you, you were with Jesus. You know him. He's like, I don't know who he is or where he is or I don't know anything about Jesus. And they're like, no, definitely you do. He's like, I swear I don't know him. You see, Peter, going backwards, when you mess up and make mistakes, we tend to retreat. This is what's going on with Peter. And after Jesus is raised from the dead, just a few days later, everyone's real excited to see Jesus. They're like, this is great. But not really Peter, because Peter's in this place right now where he knows he failed. He knows he failed in a big way. He messed up big time. He's glad he's alive, but Peter's got this thing about seeing him face to face. It's hard to deal with when you let somebody down and when you mess up like this. And so Peter's got this shame. He's got this guilt. He's got this condemnation. And so instead of hanging around doing what he should be doing, he retreats. He goes in reverse and he goes back fishing up in Galilee. When Jesus called Peter, remember the first encounter we talked about with Peter? Where, where Peter said, Lord, depart from me. Peter was fishing in that scene. And Jesus told the apostles, I don't want you to do this anymore. I want you to be a fisher of men. I want you to go after people. There's a lot of folks out there lost. Why don't you be a fisher of men? And Peter agreed to do that. But three years later, he's retreating and he's regressing because he's messed up and he's stepping back and walking away and he goes back fishing. And he takes all the apostles with him. They're like, we're going to join you. And so Peter clearly is regressed. Peter is reminiscing about his failures. And that's what we do when we mess up. You start reminiscing about your failures. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. All kinds of things start to come into play. But he is regressed in the story. He's reminiscing about his failures. And there is no doubt that when you hold on to your past, when you hold on to it, it causes us to regress. Would you agree with that? When you hold on to your past... It causes you to regress. Well, here is where the scene begins. Right now, Peter is in this place where he's stuck. He's just out there fishing. Forget about people. Forget about my calling. Forget about the way it used to be. I messed up. So I'm just going fishing. And that's what people tend to do in life. Maybe you know some folks like that who have retreated and pulled away because of a bad experience. That's where Peter is right now. And the thing about our past our past has this way of paralyzing us. Like Peter, he's just like sitting there fishing, just stuck. God doesn't want our past to paralyze us. God wants our, our past to propel us. He wants our past to be a catalyst for change. God's design is for whatever your past is, whatever you've been through, to be used for the glory of God. Now, a lot of folks don't know that or don't really get that, but that is the heart of God. And, and Genesis 50, 20 says that whatever the enemy meant for harm, whatever the devil meant to do damage with, God will turn around and use it for good. 
Now, it doesn't mean God authored all that stuff. The devil authored it. The devil meant it for harm is what the Bible says. But God will still use it for good. A lot of folks don't reconcile that. They just think they're stuck and things are messed up and they regress and they get a little paralyzed and they stop going forward. And there's no future in that. Whatever the devil meant for harm, God wants to use for good. And the reason is, the reason is, and this is so powerful, is because your testimony, your story, the story you have in your life of your journey, of where you're from and where you are and where you're going is so much more powerful than you can imagine. Uh, We don't come to terms with the magnitude of our stories. Uh, The Bible says, talking about your story, specifically when God intervened and where he brought you along the journey, that's the part of the story that's exciting. Um, The Bible says that we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb, what Jesus did on the cross, and the word of our testimony. Two things. The devil gets beat up by what Jesus did on the cross and by the word of your testimony. When you start sharing your story about what you've been through, where God brought you, and where he's taken you, the devil's like, no, stop. The devil doesn't want that getting out. The devil doesn't want you to share your story. He wants you and I to stay stuck, paralyzed, regressed, and silent. That's his nature. He's doing that with folks all over the globe, people that have messed up. We all fall short. We all make mistakes. But there's a lot of folks that are stuck, and there's other ones who shake that off and continue for the glory of God, and it becomes part of their story. It becomes part of their testimony. Even if you messed up, it becomes part of your testimony because we serve a God of new beginnings, and that's the cool thing about God. And in this case right here, he wants to use that for your testimony. So our stories can either... They can either be an excuse for why we can't go forward and why we're not qualified and how God will never use us, or it can be a catalyst. It can be a catalyst for change, saying, God, yeah, but would you turn this mess around because I know you have a hope and a future for me. I know this isn't pretty. This didn't look good. What I've been through, I don't like it. I don't want it, whatever the case. But God, would you turn this around? God will turn that around. It'll become part of your story, become part of your testimony, And this is where the journey continues, and and there's a whole future in front of that. So if you're a note-taker this morning, the first one is exactly that. It's that our past, it can either paralyze us or propel us. Paralyze or propel. Really? The choice is yours. God wants it to propel you, but the choice is really yours. The video we watched early was a bunch of folks who, they had train wrecks along the way. Some of those folks, it would have paralyzed them, but they're like, no, that's going to propel me. It's going to drive me for the glory of God. And if you would let that be your choice, you will see the radical, profound things that God can still do ahead of you. Really, really important. Well, Jesus himself knows the power of this thing. He knows the power that when some folks get stuck, how they pull over and they stop forever. He also knows the power of redemption, that when people... Uh, are forgiven, given a fresh start, that they can blow up. There can be a burst, an explosion of life for the glory of God. Jesus has seen it both. And Jesus right now sees Peter stuck. Peter's stuck. Peter feels bad. He's guilty. He feels ashamed. He, He leaves the mission field. He goes fishing. He's up north. He's just fishing. And so Jesus comes to him. The resurrected Jesus comes to Peter. And he has to 
have this one-on-one encounter with Peter because the God we serve, he's all about reinstatement. Do you know that? Reinstating people. Reinstating them. Cleaning them up. Putting them back on their path again. God's in the reinstatement business. And the Bible is full of stories of folks who have been reinstated by God. And Peter needs a reinstatement in a big way right now because this guy is ready to quit. And he's got so much potential. And the passage goes on, John 21. We're going to look at verse 15 through 17. And it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Referring to the fish. Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So Peter, he is reverted back to his old way of life, fishing, the comfortable thing, not walking with God. Jesus sees that this guy needs reinstatement in a big way. Jesus comes to him personally. And when, G- when Peter obviously denied Jesus three times, this was Jesus' way of three times saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Okay, Peter, you're reinstated. Okay? I forgive the past. You denied me. You committed to love me. Let's move forward, Peter. Peter needed this desperately. And Jesus knows that folks need new starts. They need this reinstatement. And so Peter gets reinstated. He's back to his calling. He's back to his, his calling in life and, and what God has for his future. But there are so many other folks that get stuck because they've never been reinstated. Uh, maybe you know some folks. Maybe you know some folks that were on their journey with God, doing pretty good, and something happened along the way, somewhere in life, some obstacle has got them pulled over and parked, and they're not moving forward anymore. And uh, I don't know about you, but that breaks my heart because the heart of God would be to reinstate them folks, to call them back out, to give them a new start, a fresh beginning, and to move them forward. But some folks were like, nah, this ain't working for me. I, I, I can't do this. And they, like Peter, they just go back fishing. And they miss out on the whole hope in the future. When the reality of the the test that they went through, even the failure that they had, could be part of their testimony, and they could move forward for the glory of God. They just have a bigger story now. They thought their story was like this, but after that failure and God bringing them through, now they have a bigger story, and God gets the glory. That's the power of testimony. If you're a note-taker this morning, the second point is exactly that. It's, It's don't let your past dictate your future. Don't let what happened in the past dictate your future. So many people, their past does dictate their future. Well, I can't do that because you, you really don't know what I've been through. Or, I, I, yeah, no I, I, no, I could never do that. I, I can never be used by God that way. I can never, I'm just not the one. And, and we're like Peter in the beginning when he said, Lord, depart from me. I, I'm, I'm not your guy. I'm not your guy, Lord. Find somebody else. I'm not, I'm not the one. Isaiah said the same thing when he was called. He's like, wow, Lord, I'm not ready for this. (laughs) I'm not qualified for this. God will do the qualifying. He's looking for available folks with the heart in the right direction. God does the qualifying along the way. We don't show up and say, Lord, I'm qualified. 
Look at me, I'm ready to go. No, that's not qualification. Qualification is just a humble heart knowing, God, would you help me out? I'm, I'm, I'm willing to serve you. I'll be used by you. And God's like, beautiful. This is what God starts with. But there's so many folks that would say, yeah, not, not me. Not me. And you know what I think God would tell you this morning? Why not you? Why not you? Why aren't you the one? who God wants to use. Why not you? I mean, we have a bunch of reasons like Peter excuses. Well, I don't, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm a newer believer. That's why. Or I, you know, I've been through some stuff or I, 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 I don't know. I keep making mistakes. We, we got all these reasons why it's not me. But I think when we look at the heart of God, I think he's asking you and I today, why not you? Why not you? Because In the kingdom of God, we don't have a bunch of excuses because God is in the reinstatement business. He restores people. I think of the woman at the well. Think of that gal. You know the story, the woman at the well. She's out there getting water, and Jesus asks her for a drink, and and Jesus says, will you give me a drink of that water? And, And she's a Samaritan, and Jesus is Jewish, and they can't use each other's drinking cups because it's not kosher, really. And the lady's like, why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus said, ma'am, if you had any idea who was asking you for a drink... You would ask me, and I would give you rivers of living water to flow out of you, ma'am, that you would never thirst again. Not physical thirst, spiritual thirst. And the lady's like, how are you going to do that? And Jesus says, well, why don't you go get your husband? She's like, well, I, you know, I don't really have a husband. Jesus is like, yeah, you've had like seven husbands, and the guy you're with right now is not your husband. And the lady's like, wow, how do you know this stuff about me? Here is a lady who's made bad choices her whole life, the least qualified, and God looks past all of that stuff. And he doesn't look at any of that stuff. He doesn't demean her or belittle her. He just basically is saying, will you follow me? And this woman, in the same story, gets turned around and reinstated and is on a whole other mission and journey in life. And just we see God taking people with past maybe bad decisions and maybe speed bumps and potholes and train wrecks along the way, collateral damage, God turning it all around and giving folks new beginnings. That's what God does. He's been doing it forever. Bible's full of these stories. So whatever you do, don't let your past dictate your future. Really, really important. And I'm so glad Peter didn't let his past, his mistakes, dictate his future. Because about 40 days after this happened, the story where Jesus reinstated them, 40 days later, he ends up being filled with the Holy Spirit and leading the largest revival in New Testament history. We see him, 3,000 people accept Christ just 40 days after this story. Thank God he got reinstated, right? Thank God he got reinstated. Uh, Our past can paralyze us or propel us. Here's an interesting story. After the Civil War, Robert E. Lee visited a lady in Kentucky who took him to the remains of a large old tree in front of her house. And there she cried bitterly that because the tree's limbs and the trunks had, the trunk had been totally destroyed by federal artillery fire, she looked at Lee for a word condemning the North or at least sympathizing with her loss. After a brief silence, Lee said, cut it down, my dear madam, and forget about it. Just cut it down. See, we could look at stuff and complain, look at the damage here, and look what I've been through, and look what they did to me, and I'll never be the same again, and it's all because of them, and 
look at this. And Lee, in his wisdom, just said, ma'am, cut it down. Just forget about it. It's funny how our past can paralyze or propel us. And sometimes that's our choice. It's our choice. That lady could have got up for the rest of her life, staring at that tree, cursing towards the north, and dying a bitter old lady. Or she could have taken Lee's advice, chopped it down, and started with a whole fresh beginning. See, a lot of this is our choice, how our past will either propel us or paralyze us. Well, uh, the next one goes on. It's in Acts chapter 8. And if you want to follow along, uh, excuse me, I think it's Acts chapter 9. But the setup is this. We're dealing with Saul. Saul was a Jewish rabbi. Saul was very zealous in his Jewish faith. Saul did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He never met Jesus as far as we know, but he heard that a Messiah came. He's like, no, I'm not buying it. And the people that were following Jesus, he thought they were all going the wrong way like it was some sort of cult, and he he wanted to find them, and he wanted to stop them, physically stop them. And so it starts out that that um, in Acts chapter 8, where they, where they martyr the first believer, all Jewish folks believing in Messiah, the very first one is this guy named Stephen. They martyr him. And, and Saul, who becomes Paul, is standing there approving his death. He's not happy with that. He's like, I got to go after way more of them than this. So he gets official papers from the religious leaders, and he starts out on a journey to hunt down, drag out, beat up, and put in prison all people that believe in Jesus the Messiah. He thinks he's doing a good thing. He really believes this in his zeal. And it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Saul gets up blind. He goes to Damascus. A believer in Jesus Christ Praise, uh, praise for him and, and heals him. And then if you look at the, the passage and what went, went on, it seems like uh, he went to Arabia for a little while to figure out, what was I thinking? Why was I doing what I was doing? I didn't understand. Whenever you and I go through a, a little season like that, a pothole or a train wreck, we step back and go, what were we thinking or what were we doing or why did this happen? And it seems like Saul had to work this out in his own life. He had to work out... Why was I going after these folks? I didn't know Jesus was the Messiah. And he had to, he had to work through this stuff. But the, the long story short is he's thinking, well, I wonder if God can use me now. After all that, after all that I've been through and all that I did, can God use me? So he goes to Jerusalem, meets the apostles. They're very reluctant to meet him because of his past. And he tries to do some sort of ministry in Jerusalem. It doesn't work very well riots are starting and things are going sideways and they say, you know what, Saul, uh, we're just going to send you back to Tarsus where you're from right now. This is not working out down here. And so they send a guy like Saul back to Tarsus. And if you look at church history, and I love this section of history in the church because 
We know that Paul the Apostle went on to do profound things for the glory of God. He was a shaker and a mover, and he he broke through his past. Yet, we fail to look at this little window of time where this guy who was a Christian killer, who God woke him up, and what transpired between that and when he went on to be used by the glory of God? We we don't really know. The Bible's kind of silent. It doesn't say much. It says that he, he tried to come to Jerusalem and serve. It wasn't working well. They sent him home. We don't know anything else. We know like three years later, a guy named Barnabas, who doesn't hold anyone's past against him, went looking for Saul and said, what are you doing? Come on. We got work to do. And he grabs Saul and he brings him alongside of him. And then the rest is history. But there's a three-year period up there that we don't think Saul's doing anything. There's no ministry. There's nothing recorded. I think a guy like Saul is going, man, I, I messed up. I How's God going to use me? I mean, come on, I used to kill Christians. Yeah, God turned me around, but I I tried to go to Jerusalem. I tried to serve. The apostles don't really trust me and didn't work out well. Started a riot. The guy goes back to Tarsus. He's there for three years, and we've got no history of anything. No letter of Paul, no church started in Tarsus. Nothing on the radar of anything going down in Tarsus. That's hard to believe with Paul the apostle living there. But I think Paul is this guy who's kind of stuck. I think he's a little paralyzed. I think he's regressed a little bit. And it took a guy like Barnabas to come along and say, wait, we serve a God of new beginnings. We serve a God who's in the reinstatement business. We serve a God who says, behold, I make all things new. And this is the kind of stuff that I think it took Paul to finally turn around, finally turn around. So... um, one thing we need to know too, that guys, and this is important, when you look at what, how the Bible describes the devil, the devil's very real. We don't talk about him a lot. A lot of folks want to just ignore him and pretend he doesn't exist. But when you look at the names of the devil, when you look at his titles in the Bible, he's got these names. And the names describe him really well. His names expose his strategy. And one of the names for the devil is the accuser, the accuser of the brethren. In other words, He accuses folks like you and me all the time. How does he do that? Out loud? No, maybe up here where you kind of get a thought and you're going, oh, great. And and you're thinking, where's that thought come from or an idea? Or maybe, maybe you're reminiscing about your own past and you're wondering or you're thinking, you know, this, this can't work out, or I don't see how God's going to do this. And the Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren, and it says in Revelation that day and night he's trying to accuse us. I think that's true. I think when you have guys like Paul who's up in Tarsus doing nothing, I think he's hearing some of these accusations and thinking, yeah, I don't, I don't think I have a future in this. I think guys like Peter, guys like Peter who retreated and went fishing, I think he's one of those guys going... Yeah, I messed up pretty bad. I don't, I don't know that I could do this again. And I think he does that to folks like you and I and folks we know all the time, accuses folks, and they're stuck. And he wants people to stay stuck. And that's what he, he's really good at doing this. He's very relentless at that. And that's why the Bible tells you and I that we need to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. When you and I have an idea, a thought like that, a negative one that has to do with an accusation, about who you are or where you're going or what God wants for your life, you got to take hold of that thought 
and you've got to cast it down. That's what the Bible says. But if you don't, you'll be stuck. If you don't, your past will hold you back. If you don't, we will be par- paralyzed. We will regress. It happens to so many people in life and in the Bible that we can't get around it. Um, and so what happens in the story is Barnabas goes to Paul. God reinstates Paul. And the rest ends up being history. The cool thing is this, guys. Paul didn't let his past interfere with his future. And you and I can't let our past interfere with our future. Because so many folks do. Even in the Bible, people with great intentions, great ideas, great desire, yet their past totally distorts their future. And we can't let our past interfere with our future Paul didn't do it. We can't either. And that's the third point this morning is, is, is exactly that. Um, if you're a note taker, it's my past is a rudder to guide me, not an anchor to drag me. It's a rudder to guide me. I know I went through things. It's part of my experience and I get it. I know where I've been. I get it, but I'm not going to live there. But it's not an anchor to drag me because some folks will hold on to the anchor of past and they'll drag it with them their whole life like the story of Robert E. Lee and that woman in Kentucky. She goes, well, you don't know what I've been through. You see that tree over there? That represents my life. Everyone's been mean to me, and I can't forgive them. And Robert E. Lee says, ma'am, just cut it down. Just cut it down. It's that easy. Some of you might need to reflect on that as we're Checking out of this year, going into the new year, it's nice to have a whole bunch of resolutions and ideas and plans. And by the way, next week we're going to be talking about new beginnings and what they actually look at. We're going to be talking about distinct things about God's gifts that he put in your life and God's plan and God's will and future for us as collectively and individuals from what the Bible says. But we're at this point right now as we're leaving one year into the next. If there are any areas that aren't reconciled, if there is any unforgiveness, if there is any area that hasn't been dealt with, this, right now, this week, even today, is the perfect time to deal with that. If you do some prayer and some soul searching, are there any individuals that you still have an outstanding issue with in any way, shape, or form? Here's an action point today. Some of you are not going to like me for saying this. But be the first one. Take the high road. Extend the olive branch. Would you do that? It's hard to be free in the new year. It's hard to run the race to win. Paul talks about running the race to win. And you can't do it dragging an anchor. And even if there's areas of unforgiveness, you can try ignoring it, but you're still dragging it. You got to be free. You got to cut some stuff loose. And the way to do that, if there is an area of unforgiveness, it will cause a root of bitterness. It will hold you down. It will hold you back. It will hinder the blessings of God in your life and in mine. If there's an area, if there's a person, if there's an issue, a thing that you haven't come to terms with, here is the perfect window of time. And this is maybe even today to pick up the phone, to send a letter, drop an email, whatever you got to do, be the first one to extend the olive branch. Now, the other person may or may not respond the way you want them to or would like you to, but that's not, that's not up to you. God's not making you work that out. You can't turn the other side of this thing around. That's not up to you. But you can take the high road. You can take the first step. You can extend the olive branch, and God will bless you 
for trying to do that. But I would encourage you, if there's any issue like that, don't try going into the new year ignoring that stuff. There's no freedom in that. There's no future in that. And uh, in fact, we're going to be closing in prayer if the worship team could come up. I just want to uh, read these last couple of quotes to you. Warren Wearsby actually quoted it. He said, Do not move ahead by constantly looking in a rearview mirror. The past is a rudder to guide you, not an anchor to drag you. We must learn from the past, but not live in the past. How true is that? The Apostle Paul, who was the Christian killer, who had bad experiences, who finally got reinstated to write a third of the New Testament and be used by God in powerful ways, he said in Philippians 3.13, he's like, there is one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Paul didn't live looking in the rearview mirror. He didn't want to go back to those days or the dark hours. He didn't want to... It, it, it shaped his life. It was part of his testimony, but, but he wasn't going to live there. He wasn't going to retreat. That wasn't going to be his address any longer. He's going to forget what's behind, strain towards what is ahead, and that's the way he can run the race to win with no issues like that. He's got a freedom in his life. Oswald Chambers put it this way. He said, be, Beware of spending too much time looking back at what you once were when God wants you to become something that you've never been. You've got to believe something today, guys. You've got to believe that God has a hope and a future for you. You've got to believe that. And you got, he says it. It's his promise. It's not a suggestion. It's not just a general statement. God has specifics for you and I. We're going to look at those more in detail next week. But you can't approach that. You can't focus on that. You can't think you're going to run the race or walk out this faith journey in your life with some of this path, past stuff. So, Perfect time to do some soul searching, come to terms with some things of the past, get free of any area of unforgiveness, to uh, reconcile. If your past has been holding you back or it's been an excuse or it's been a reason, come to terms with that too because God would say it's not a reason anymore. God would say whatever the enemy did mean for harm, and believe me, he did mean harm in your life and in mine. You better believe he did. Whatever he meant for harm, God will turn around and use for good. How does God do that? If you've been through something, you are the perfect candidate to help somebody else through the same thing. You realize that? You can help people through things that the person sitting next to you or other people around can't because you went through something specifically. And because you did, and because God brought you out on the other side or is bringing you out on the other side, God has given you a capacity and an understanding to help folks in a way that only you can. That's become part of your testimony. That's part of your story. That's part of your, your victory story of, hey, I'm not perfect, but this is where I was, and God brought me to here, and he could do the same thing for you. And in this new year, we still overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The power of your story is radical. No one can ever change your story. No one can take your story away from you. If you begin to share with folks your story and your journey with God, folks can only go, wow, that's interesting. No one can deny your story. Nobody can refute your story. That's your story. That's your journey. But your journey will help the journey of others. And I think when we start looking at our faith, instead of it being all about us, and we start thinking of how we help other folks along the way, <laughs> that gets really exciting. That gets really, really exciting. And so we're going to close in prayer, but... My prayer is this, guys, that as we go into this new year, 
that we have a new commitment of faith, we have a new commitment to the journey, that we have a new commitment that the past isn't going to hold us back in any way, shape, or form, that the past is going to be used to propel us, not to paralyze us. And if you agree with that, then pray with me right now. We're going to ask God to seal that uh, in our hearts. Mighty God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the victory stories that we see in the Bible. I thank you that Peter, even though he went through some rough things, he got reinstated. The rest is history. I thank you that Paul, who went through some rough things and maybe almost quit, got reinstated, and the rest is history. And Lord, we've been through things. Everyone in this room, there's a lot of experience in this room. Um, Some that we didn't sign up for, some that we didn't like, some that maybe we were a victim of circumstance, some the enemy meant it for harm, plain and simple. And you want to turn around and use it for good. And you're willing to use it for good and you desire to use it for good. So I just pray you would help us change our our perspective that, that we would know that whatever we've been through, you actually can use it for good. There's a place for it. There's a place that it can be a launching pad. It can be a a place where we leap from, that we, like a starting block in a race, saying that's behind us. And with the grace of God, this is what's in front of us. So Lord God, I just pray you would do a new thing, do a new work in the area of breakthrough, breaking through past. If anyone in the room has an area of past that's holding them back, I pray that today in the name of Jesus, it would be broken. I pray there'd be revelation. I pray that there would be clarity, Lord. And Lord, for others, Lord, maybe they, they've moved forward, but they're not using it to help others. I pray that everyone in the room would come to terms with what areas God has brought them through, what areas you've brought us through, Lord, and that we would turn around and be willing to help others on the journey. We'd extend a hand. We can't fix people, but we can say, you know, God brought me through that. Let me show you something. Let me, let me help you out with that. Let me encourage you on how God can give you a new beginning and a fresh start. And I also pray, Lord, if there's any here today that haven't had a single day in history where they can look back to a day of surrender. Maybe they acknowledge you, they respect you, and they would even say they love you. But if there's not a day where the white flag was held up, where we got off the throne and put you on it, that's a clear, definitive day in history. That just doesn't gradually happen. That's some time where we go, you know what? I'm not the Lord of my life. You're the Lord of my life. I'm getting off the throne. I'm putting you on it. You're the king and I am not. From now on, I follow and serve you. Lord, I I just pray that if that hasn't occurred yet, Lord, in the life of some today, that today would be the day and in the privacy of their own heart, they would say, "Uh, Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. You died for my sins. I pray you take mine away. Give me a fresh start. You're all about fresh starts. I pray that today would be the day where some would say, I'm going to get off the throne. I'm going to put you on it. You're not just going to be my savior. You're going to be my Lord. And I want you on that throne, and I want to follow you, and I want you to lead me, and there's a whole new level of life that exists when you become the Lord. And I pray that that would happen today, and if any are sensing that call, that they would just say yes to you in the privacy of their own heart. They would tell me or somebody they came with so that we can encourage them on their journey. We love you, mighty God. I just pray as we wrap up this year and go into the next that we wouldn't just exist, but we would live for your glory, that you would do profound things in our hearts, God, that we would see revival in our own lives this year, Lord God. Revival, that we'd be excited about what the living God is doing in our own life. So, so begin a new work, begin a new thing. We thank you, and we're excited for what you have in store. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said.
Amen. Amen.